Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Gateway Seminary has a well-earned reputation for being one of the most multicultural seminaries in the world. In fact, our accreditors have said that we may be the most multicultural seminary in the world, and because of that, we have developed some uh, expertise around the theme of working in multicultural teams. Some time ago, I was asked by an international uh, missions organization to lead some training on that very theme, leading multicultural teams. And as I reflected on those uh, on that presentation, I thought how helpful that might be for some of you here in the podcast audience who are working yourselves in multicultural churches and working to develop more multicultural teams. So today, that's the theme of the podcast, leading multicultural teams. Now, at the beginning of the podcast, I want to draw on a book by Patrick Lencioni entitled The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Now, that book is not about leading multicultural teams, but it is a good book about describing the dysfunctions of teams And of course, looking at it through the negative lens, then turning it to the positive and talking about the five skills of highly functional teams. So we'll start there. And then what I'd like to do is take each of those five and give a multicultural application or raise some multicultural issues that are particularly important in developing high functioning teams. So Drawing from Lencioni's work in his book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, there are five positive statements we can make about how teams work best together. First, healthy teams trust one another. They are made up of people who have decided to trust each other in the process of working together. Second, healthy teams have unfiltered conflict around ideas. Now, Healthy teams do not just have unfiltered conflict. That that's not a sign of health. It's when the unhealthy conflict, or excuse me, when the unfiltered conflict is around ideas, not about personalities or politics or about perspectives, but conflict around ideas is a mark of a healthy team. Third, healthy teams commit to decisions and action plans. Healthy teams do more than sit around and talk about how things ought to be. They make a list of what how things are going to be done differently, and they focus intentionally their efforts on getting that done. And then fourth, healthy teams hold each other accountable. Healthy teams don't mind saying, hey, you're not pulling your weight. You're not doing your part. You need to get on the ball. Healthy teams hold each other accountable. And finally, Healthy teams focus on achieving collective results, meaning that the whole team prospers and the whole team celebrates at the end. Now, these five statements describe the five qualities of healthy teams. They trust one another. They have unfiltered conflict around ideas. They commit to decisions and action plans. They hold each other accountable. And they focus on achieving collective results. Now, Let's spend the balance of the podcast talking about each of these five issues as it relates to doing these things in a multicultural context, in a multicultural team. First, healthy teams trust one another. Now, there are several ways that 
teams build trust. They build trust through shared experiences, through having a record of credible follow-through, and for appreciation for the attributes or the contributions of each individual team member. These are some ways that you build trust on a team. Now, what are the multicultural challenges? Well, the first one is creating meaningful shared experiences across cultures. Creating meaningful shared experiences across cultures. For example, if you're planning a team retreat activity, and you want that activity to build trust among the members, you've got to think through what will really do that if you have people on your team from different ages, different generations, different ethnicities, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds. You have to be really careful that you pick experiences that are really going to be cross-culturally appropriate for people to share together and build that kind of team that you're looking for. Now, Creating these meaningful shared experiences can be somewhat challenging. I know that uh, here at Gateway, when we try to do a team event or a team activity, we have to think in terms of, well, will both men and women enjoy that? Will all ages enjoy that? Will people from different nationalities or ethnicities or backgrounds all feel comfortable about participating equally in that? And we all have to have a sense of Christian grace about us that not everything has to be perfectly tailored for us. And Thank God that's how Gateway functions most days. But nevertheless, as leaders, we have to think in terms of how can we find activities that really do give people shared experiences, a record of follow-through, and appreciation for each other. How can we find experiences to facilitate these things across various cultures? Now, another part of this is developing risk tolerance and helping people to understand how to take risks with each other and to take risks in sharing their ideas with each other. This is particularly challenging in a multicultural setting in a couple of ways. First of all, it can be particularly challenging in what I call face-saving cultures, where shame is a very significant factor and where avoiding any kind of public disgrace or public dis dispute is very desirable. So, for example, uh, just simply trying to get people to take risks and have conversation with each other can be very challenging when they have a risk aversion built into them because of their cultural perspective or their cultural training. Now, another kind of group that really struggles with this is among team members who've been burned in the past on these so-called trust-building exercises or trust-building experiences where people were told that they could do something that would enhance trust or build trust or facilitate trust, and they put themselves out there, if you will, only to be burned by someone who violated the trust they had extended to them. So building trust is a first step toward high-functioning teams. And you build trust through shared experiences and credible follow-through and appreciation for the attributes of the contributions of each team member. But remember these challenges. You've got to find meaningful shared experiences that communicate across cultures and that people participate in from every kind of cultural background. And you have to find ways to reward and enhance risk tolerance so that people will actually take the risk to trust each other. And you can't do that if you are too preoccupied with preserving face or with 
prohibiting people from ever having to revisit any of their past experiences, which are still troubling them. So build trust and overcome the multicultural barriers to doing so. Okay, a second issue is what about uh, our a second quality, I should say, of healthy teams is that they have unfiltered conflict around ideas. Now, some suggested steps to make this happen are to, first of all, agree that conflict about ideas is good. Now, that may be a new idea for some people on your team because they, they're afraid of conflict. They're afraid of rocking the boat, having debate, having a difference of opinion or anything like that. But, uh, but the, So the first step is to get your team to agree that conflict about ideas is good. Now, I keep emphasizing the about ideas part because I want you to remember that just having conflict is not good. And having interpersonal or political or, or, or conflict over some perspective is not healthy. But when you have conflict about ideas, for example, you're in a meeting and you say everyone agrees on the mission and now we're going to have some discussion about ideas, how to fulfill the mission, and there's robust discussion about those ideas, that contributes to good team leadership. So you have to agree that conflict about ideas is good. And then second, model and affirm initial attempts at conflict over ideas so that if you're trying to build your team and people start taking a little bit of a risk and having some debate or discussion about ideas, facilitate that, encourage that, fan that little flame and help it to flourish. And then sometimes you even have to learn how to mine for conflict where you actually ask people for their opinion and put them on the spot and ask them to actually tell you what they think so that you can get that kind of uh, serious conversation going. So, Unfiltered conflict around ideas means that you agree that conflict about ideas is good. You model and affirm attempts at conflict over ideas, and you mine for conflict. You draw it out of people, you draw the ideas out of people, and you lead them to have whatever needs to be done in terms of conflict discussion. Now, what are some multicultural challenges in doing this? Well, the first one is that different cultures and different backgrounds Different people have different perspectives on the causes and the solutions and the cost of conflict. Different people, different cultures have different values on the causes, solutions, and cost of conflict. For example, um, I was recently working with a, a group of Koreans. They have a particular viewpoint of conflict. What to me seems like really intense, destructive conflict to them, really was not even noticeable because they have a different definition, a different understanding, a different perspective on conflict, and particularly as it relates to conflict in organizational bodies, than I do. And so learning to understand that has taken me a long way down the road of being able to work better in a multicultural ministry team. Now, another aspect of this unfiltered conflict around ideas, another challenge is in multicultural contexts, there's often concerns about hierarchy and respect in an organization, which really tamps down the questions and the dialogue and the, even the discussion. For example, when I teach uh, here at Gateway and I have a classroom that has a number of Asian students in it, and I ask at the end or in my lecture, what questions do you have? What concerns am I raising? What problems does this create for you? It's almost never that an Asian student will raise his or her hand and comment in class. Why? Because Asian students are taught to respect elders and to respect teachers. And even if they disagree with what I'm saying, they would never, ever think about doing that in public. Now, they might go to their friend later and have a conversation about it and agree to reject what I've said, 
but they're not going to confront me in public. And they're very uncomfortable confronting even each other in public over ideas. So this is a challenging one. Unfiltered conflict around ideas. Because you have to facilitate this conflict and draw it out of people and, and, and really introduce it into your organization in a healthy way. But remember, we're not just having conflict about any old thing. We're having conflict about ideas. And we have to get past these perspectives uh, on hierarchy and respect and other issues that limit people being willing to really stand up and speak up about what they really think in a given situation. You know, I'm privileged to work here at the seminary with four really high-performance vice presidents, and we meet almost every week, and in those meetings, we really have some strong conflict about ideas. There's four of us. We don't all see things the same way. Now, we all share the mission of the seminary, and that gives us a deep unity that really can't be formulated any other way. We all have a deep commitment to the mission of the seminary, but beyond that, the discussion about the methods to fulfill that mission are often a free-for-all, free a free-flowing argument, debate, discussion, you call it what you will, but it is definitely the unfiltered exchange of ideas, the unfiltered conflict around ideas. This is so healthy. You want that kind of dialogue taking place. Now, here's what you don't want. You don't want unfiltered conflict or conflict about people or politics, or some other perspective on the work that you're doing. You want the conflict to be about ideas and about what those ideas mean for the future of the organization. So keep that in mind. Now, third, a third step toward a healthy team is healthy teams commit to decision and action plans. Now, some suggested steps to fulfill this are you, that you have written results from every meeting with documented and assigned actions that are to be done before the next meeting. And you have deadlines for when action items will be done so that people know exactly when they're supposed to be done and how they're supposed to be done. You commit to decisions and action plans. In other words, when your team finishes its meeting or your team finishes its planning, it has said, we're going to do these three things by these three dates on these three ways, and we're going to get this done. And we're going to be measured in our effectiveness by how they got done and how often they got done and what happened when they were finished. Now, what are some multicultural challenges in this? Well, one of the first one is a different perspective on the role and function of meetings. A different perspective on the role and function of meetings. Now, in two broad categories, some people and some cultures perceive meetings to be a place primarily of establishing relational connectivity, of being able to know who's there and to feel good about that and to feel connected to those people. For example, I'm currently a member of an African-American church, and I really underestimated when I went there how relationally driven our church really is. Now, that's not a bad thing. It's just a thing thing. It's not something that's wrong. It's just something that's real. But these different perspectives on the function of meetings uh, uh, falls in these categories of connection and task. In the church where I'm a member now, people really like to come together to connect primarily. Now, they also want to get some things done, but first, they really want to connect. This was really shown uh, in the early days of COVID when we first switched over to Zoom meetings. Every time a new person logged into the meeting, they had to stop and say hello and greet every single individual on the screen personally 
before we could go on with the meeting. And this happened time after time after time after time. Now, eventually, people learned that there were other ways they could connect besides doing that. And so that sort of stopped over time. But it didn't stop quickly because people really value that connectivity. And they value connectivity over task. But this is uh, – and there are some kinds of meetings that really are designed just to facilitate greater connectivity. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in order to have a high-functioning team, you have to be willing to commit to decisions and action plans, which means that your, t- your team meetings have to go beyond the connection meeting to actually a task enhancement or a task assignment part of the meeting. Now, this is challenging, as I said, in some cultures, but you have to get to the point where when you're meeting, you're not just meeting to connect, you're also meeting to get things done. Now, another multicultural component is the different ways cultures perceive time. You know, time-flexible cultures may struggle with deadlines. Time-flexible cultures sometimes struggle to commit to getting something done at a certain time, on a certain day, in a certain way, and actually performing that. Now, it's not because they're lazy or they don't care or they're not interested or they're good for nothing or anything like that. It's that they simply don't value task as highly as perhaps you do. And because of that, they really want connectivity, and flexibility about deadlines and other things to reflect their perception of how relationships are built and how tasks really get done by teams assigned for those purposes. All right, let's review so far. So we've talked about the fact that there are at least five characteristics of high-functioning teams. They trust one another, they have unfiltered conflict around ideas, and they come to decisions, they commit to decisions and action plans. We've talked about these three things now, not only laying them out as a standard by which we're going to measure the effectiveness of a team, but also then thinking about some multicultural dimensions or multicultural aspects or applications of these that would be helpful for us as we put them to, get, put them to use in different cultural contexts. Now let's move on to number four. The fourth quality of a highly functional team is that they hold these teams hold each other accountable. This means that they publish goals and standards and dates, and they have public accountability and public rewards. They acknowledge when something's been done well, and they give someone the appropriate recognition, whether it's a pat on the back, a a hand clap, an ovation, or maybe even a gift, or maybe a monetary gift. But nevertheless, they are going to do uh, whatever is needed to hold each other accountable and reward each other in those kind of public ways. Now, What are the multicultural challenges to that? Well, the first may be a resistance to group accountability and a preference for hierarchical structure and hierarchical decision-making. I had a clear illustration this one time at Gateway. I called together a group of people and uh, of the faculty, and I asked this question. You know, where do you see the seminary being in 10 years? Where do you see the seminary going? How do you see it? How do you envision it? Where do you want it to be? We asked the question in different ways to try to get different feedback from different people. We went through two or three meetings like this. And finally, we were in a meeting. And one of our uh, uh, Korean faculty members raised his hand and just blurted out, Dr. Orge, just tell us your vision and we will make it happen. Well, he comes from a hierarchical culture and his church and his background in ministry were in that hierarchical kind of structure where the leader got the vision and communicated to the people and the people rose up and fulfilled the vision. Well, the multicultural challenge of this is that not every group 
functions that way. Some function in a very hierarchical way, and they expect things to be done from top down, not in some kind of collaborative group environment. Now, another aspect of this is resistance to public rewards or public acknowledgments are publicly being singled out for what they've done or how, they've, how they finished it. And what does this mean? Well, it means that you have to be careful about how you recognize people on teams and the multicultural dynamic has to be considered. For example, I've learned over the years when someone gives me a gift and I'm visiting a church that's either multicultural or monocultural but not Anglo, when someone gives me a gift, I just straight up ask the question, would you like for me to open this now or would you like for me to save it for later? And about two-thirds of the time, they'll say, we want you to open it now because in many cultures, Giving a gift and seeing the celebration and the appreciation from the recipient is part of the experience. But there are some other cultures that have said to me, well, no, you'll need to open that later in privacy. That's, that's only for you. Now, they're doing that not because they're embarrassed or ashamed or anything like that. They're doing that because they recognize that in their culture, opening a gift in public has the potential of being somehow uh, shaming of the donor or somehow disrupting to the relationship, and they want that all to be handled privately. So when you have a team that needs to hold each other accountable and you find it very difficult <laughs> to do that because your members of your team don't want to publish things uh, publicly, they don't want their standards and review to be made known to others, uh, they are struggling, struggling with the group accountability and in, because of the hierarchical structure in which they work and group participation because of the hierarchical structure. And also they struggle because they just don't want to have anything publicly said about them or put them on the spot, if you will, in front of others. So you have to think through these multicultural challenges and how will I address those in the context of where I'm living and working. Now let's consider the last of these five uh, factors or five qualities of highly functional teams, which was healthy teams focus on achieving collective results. Healthy teams get something done. They actually produce results. So there's a couple of suggested steps that uh, help to do that. One, to articulate mission and maintain mission discipline. That's part of getting things done. And keeping the focus on actions and ideas not fellowship and relationships. Now, let me underscore this. Fellowship and relationships are very important. And in multicultural teams, it's a very important part of what you're doing. We've already talked about that earlier in the podcast. But you have to keep the focus on ideas and actions if you're going to actually get things done. All right? Now, what are some of the multicultural challenges with this? Well, first of all, relational cultures may struggle to prioritize tasks over relationships. It's really challenging when you're in a culture that values relationships and relational connectivity more than anything else to get people to move beyond that to getting things done. Now, it's not enough to have a team come together and all feel really good about each other. That's important, but it's not enough. You have to work then to take people to that next step of saying, now that we all feel good about each other or now that we've established these relational connections, what are we going to actually get done? And that's a delicate leadership challenge to help relationally driven people and relational cultures to understand the importance 
of pushing on beyond that to getting work done. Task focus may also seem uncaring or Western or driven. It may seem like you're forcing cultural adaptation instead of, uh, of practicing a sound uh, indigenous missiology, but I really don't think it is. We're not devaluing relationships. We're simply saying that healthy teams do more than come together and have warm fellowship. Healthy teams come together in order to accomplish something that gives the group a sense of well-being that comes only from getting something meaningful done together. So these challenges to multicultural teams, they can be overcome, but they have to be intentionally addressed. And you have to have an awareness of your context, of the cultures you're working with, and of how people can come together uh, to get so much done. You know, some of you work in monocultural situations. Some of you work in bicultural, some in multicultural situations. But our world is growing in its uh, multicultural expression, and churches are certainly experiencing this. You know, I was recently in a small town out in uh, Wyoming, and when I was there, I, I went to a church, and I was surprised when I got there to run into Asians, Samoans, Hispanics. I was surprised to run into people from various cultural backgrounds, even in a small town in the middle of the United States, a place I would not have expected to find that kind of multiculturalism. And so that reminded me that it's not just a California issue, it's not just a gateway issue, it's a really growing challenge for us as we try to bring together people from various backgrounds and help them learn to work together on ministry teams. So think about the podcast today. We've talked about the, the five dysfunctions of a team, the book by Patrick Lencioni, and out of that drew these five positive statements about what makes for healthy teams. Then we've looked at each one of those five statements with just a brief description of what they're like, and then on each one of them, some multicultural challenges that have to be addressed. Listen, the multicultural dimension is another layer over which we have to work to find a way to lead people to ministerial effectiveness. But don't think of it as a barrier. Think of it instead as an opportunity, an opportunity to, to experience the gospel, an opportunity to experience God's grace, an opportunity to demonstrate unity in Jesus Christ, and an opportunity to learn from one another and to be enriched by that learning experience, but then also as a leadership challenge, taking on the responsibility of leading the team to be truly effective in the context of its multicultural expression. This is one of the pressing demands of leadership today and one of the privileges and challenges as well. Put it into practice this week as you lead on.